What we're trying to do is solve both of those problems. On the one hand, we want to make it easy, like like easy, like using AWS to, to make your tech company to decide, I know that there's demand for this market. People want to trade it. I'm going to define this market. I'm going to find people who want to trade it. And we're all going to trade it together and screw whether or not those banks think it's a good idea because we want to trade it. So on the one hand, you want to make it that easy. And then on the other hand, you want to say, those people who created that and those people who saw that opportunity and got in early, they should be the ones to benefit from its creation, not the people with the you know, regulatory capture and it's sort of who get to be the ones profiting from every market by default. So you kind of solve for making it easy and then solve for making the people who are right there with the opportunity doing it actually being the ones to benefit when, oh, when their idea is successful. All right, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, powered by Waxman, where together, you and I, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of Bitcoin and crypto's most influential leaders, those who have set out years ago to trailblaze, build these DAOs, launch their protocols, I remember a time in 2016 and 2017 when launching communities and launching a protocol, launching a whole new blockchain was still so new. And my guest today launched his protocol around that that same year. So we're excited to talk to him. Those were different years. Those were years where like, you're looking out into the future, not knowing what it'll look like because you had nothing to compare it to. The only other crypto or blockchain that had ever been launched was like Bitcoin and Ethereum. So like, how do you bootstrap yourself and do it again? Now in 2023, and we're having a conversation with the producers this morning about it, 99% of the stuff out there is like BS, they're scams, they're frauds, they're things that are, are just trying to take your money and be BS things. And, and on this show, we really try to have the 1%, the really good ones, the great guests that have been building out there for, for years, building whole communities and everything. With that, Barney Mannerings. Barney, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're the founder of Vega Protocol, really cool, innovative, decentralized derivatives trading settlement network. You allow everything from the ground up. You allow basically like any anyone to create a product, bring a market to it, become a market maker, trade. And you have this whole tagline about like free the markets. Welcome to the show. And what did you do before crypto? Thanks, Charlie. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. And uh, prior to crypto, um, I'm a sort of computer scientist at heart. But I started my career in, in I guess what you'd call the traditional markets, TradFi. Now, um, I basically spent nearly 15 years building finance systems, particularly trading systems, risk systems, working with some of the biggest uh, you know, investment banks and exchanges in the world, building like sort of really high quality, high volume, high performance. Uh, you know, trading systems, order books, matching engines, etc. So, I sort of saw that side of the world, and I saw how to do do all those things well and build those systems well. Uh, but I also saw how closed off that world was, and I saw the amount of promise that came with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and sort of a new way of doing things. So, like, what was that? You, you, we're talking about rebuilding essentially all of credit and capital markets here, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, and I think. Something that's been really interesting for me to see was there's a reason why people invented markets, right? People didn't just invent markets just to gamble and to sort of trade meme coins. They actually have a real use in the financial world. And it's very easy in our sort of bubble of early excited crypto people and surrounded by you know, coins and tokens and scams and interesting products. It's easy to forget 
the breadth of different use cases that, that the markets have. And you know, one of the things that always drove me and, and us at Vega was the idea that actually the point of this technology is eventually to provide better alternatives than traditional markets. So when we're thinking about how to do you know, derivatives, how to do trading, how to do markets, we do actually have to think, how can we make this better for all of those different use cases and users than what's there today? How can we make it more than just something that lets you, you know, speculate on meme coins or you know, achieve some kind of regulatory arbitrage, whatever it is? So how can you actually make it really real world useful? How can you make it spur innovation in capital markets and finance? How can you make it open up the markets to you know, much wider audiences and more participation? So you're sitting here one day and you're looking like, okay, this crypto world is crazy. They're trading all these meme coins. There's this whole world going on. But you're kind of seeing it from a different angle. You're looking at what the skeleton was. Remember when Uniswap was first invented? You, were, you kind of were around back then. That was such a big deal because that allowed anyone to become part of like the house and provide the capital for liquidity of the other side. And that kind of created a snowball effect here. So you're sitting there and you're looking at this and you're saying, while everyone's looking at what's being traded, you're looking at how people are trading and how they're doing it differently than how they've been doing it before. And you would know because you built the systems how people did it before. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, there's this great saying that a lot of like sort of technologists and you know really, really great investors have, which is like, you know, people when when good good new ideas and innovation come along, the, the old guard often dismiss it as a toy. That's just a toy. Um, and I think, you know, that's what they said about yeah. Uniswap. That's what they said about all of this crypto stuff to begin with. And one of the things that's really interesting is it looks like just a toy to start with until it's not, until you go and show people that actually that toy is incredibly powerful and grows up to be something that challenges the old guy. But equally, for every toy that actually makes that transition and becomes something that everyone is using, there are also a bunch of things that don't make it past that stage because actually they aren't what the users want. They don't actually provide the same utility. And I think you know, getting that right, getting that, like Uniswap have, for instance, getting that idea of something which actually has the ability to solve a need for, for real users in a way that works and in a way that's scalable, uh, but also maybe starts out looking like a toy, starts out as a, an experiment in, in crypto and in tech and then just grows from there is, is you know, really important. Have we hit that stage yet? Are we still a toy, do you think? Or like, are, people, think, are we a group? It's really now? interesting. Like, I think we... We have, but not for as many use cases as we'd like to think. Um, you know, and it's kind of interesting. Like when you, when you look at like, I, I sometimes wonder things like how much of the trading we see in crypto is because some countries are really against um, things like spread betting and online gambling. Like, you know, if, if the US made it easy for people to gamble online against the price of anything, how much of people would be as interested in some of the types of things that happen in crypto or, and how much is actually filling that need? Because one of the things you see is a lot of that kind of trading, a lot of interest in the new early protocols, a lot of kind of almost like mass market VC investing in a way, like getting into early things. But then what we haven't seen much of yet beyond a few experimental things is people taking real world use cases, you know, like financing businesses, insuring against serious risks with hedging or other, you know, like people do with derivatives. We haven't seen a huge amount of that going on with those real world use cases yet. So we kind of got all of the building blocks. And in some ways, they're filling some needs. But in other ways, we're still at that kind of toy phase. And I think this is kind of, you know, when you look at people like Compound with Compound Treasury and some of those things, you're starting to see crypto protocols try and bridge that gap. And I think, you know, the next couple of years, we're probably going to see a lot more of it because we have some of these next generation protocols, next generation blockchains, app chains like Vega come along and actually give us, give these toys a few, few more. Yeah. I want to like kind of go in two different intersections here. 
like the history of markets. What were the first? I'm you know I went to Amst I went to to Amsterdam and there was a, there's a museum of like the stock market there. It's like the history of the stock market. They highlight like the tulip mania and talked about like it wasn't the tulip itself that was as imperative to what happened there. It was the fact that all of a sudden anyone like you had this idea of like a stock market. You had the ability to like create shares. Even though it was happening before, it was mostly done with like the Dutch East India Company or whatever. So I went and I I studied all these markets, but what markets do you think you would like to see happen on Vega? And like, what can I do? I want to hedge. How how do I hedge? Can I create my own insurance products? Like, can I hedge against real estate? Like, what? how can the average person Uh, get excited? Yeah, I mean, I think um, let's, let's talk about a few different things here. The first one, I guess, you know, what what would I like to see? Like, actually, some of the things I want to see are really boring, which is to say, like, if you look at, you know, small businesses, they have a commercial banking relationship with some kind of giant dinosaur banking firm. They probably pay something like I sort of said, they pay 25 times the combined like spread plus fees that they should do when they do a simple thing like use a currency futures trade to hedge you know, if they say they're importing from Europe to the US, right? So they pay like 25 times what they should to hedge that. But because they have that risk of that import and that currency, they're going to do that. Like, I would love to see a market get created on Vega and in the next, you know, two or three years or how long it takes to get to the point where the network is not still in a sort of an alpha state where it's where people yeah. should be more, more willing to risk money. Because let's be clear, right? On day one, we just don't want people taking their business risk onto a new, a new thing. Um, but like, you know, I'd love to see a situation where someone could actually say, yeah, there's a, there's a credible way that I can not pay that 25x more than I should to some bank. And I can hedge, hedge myself by going to this almost peer-to-peer marketplace. So I'd love to see that kind of thing because it's, it's boring in a way, but it's also incredibly exciting to it's see important. something we've built actually achieve that. And then to your other point about as a community member, what you can do, defining and creating market on Vegas is actually really easy. Effectively, for derivatives, you basically need the underlying product. And initially in the alpha, we're focused on cash capital features and then perps. Um, and then you basically need the Oracle for settlement, right? So, you know, in, in derivatives, rather than actually having the kind of like, you know, I, I am buying, you know, as a particular thing, what you're actually doing is you're effectively entering into a contract or a rules-based system where the amount of money you have varies depending on, on some kind of underlying rules. And the features is pretty simple. They move in the same sort of way as the underlying itself. So it's a bit like having a spot, but they are margin-based with, with effectively with leverage, which means that you can have the, enough capital efficiency to make it worthwhile. Because obviously, you know, if you've got an exposure to a large amount of euros every month or something in, in US dollars, buying all of those euros ahead of time for a year would be incredibly expensive. Whereas taking out a hedge on margin, obviously, is much less expensive and much more likely to be affordable. And that's kind of part of the magic of these things. Um, but that means it's very easy to create a market in terms of like actually making the proposal. Um, you find an oracle and you know, initially we're quite limited on oracles, but sort of in, in maybe a couple of months' time, we're going to launch an additional feature on our Ethereum bridge, which basically means that um, you can use any Oracle that exists on the Ethereum network. You can basically you will be able to use it over the bridge to Vegas. So hopefully you can find an Oracle from a well-known Oracle that you trust, um, you know, let's say Chainlink or one of the others, and then you basically create a market proposal for the market you want, describe that market, and then really the community gets to vote it in. We have this community voting thing to basically prevent things like fraud, to prevent people taking advantage. I mean, you've sort of probably seen this on Uniswap, people create like fake yeah. tokens and, and, and scam people. It's actually worse on derivatives because... Oracles are harder to verify than tokens. They're a little bit more obtuse. So we kind of went for this community voting thing to give the community a bit of power to to curate the set of markets. 
And then really the main thing is liquidity, the same as with anything like Uniswap, right? You can create a pair, but if there's no liquidity, no one can come and buy and sell it, right? So really once you've done the simple work of proposing the market and finding the Oracle and, and having it voted through, then then comes the bit of actually someone has to have liquidity. And this is the bit where yeah. you know, it would be lovely if there was some way to give all of the community members also enough money to see liquidity as well. Unfortunately, we are not able to do that. So you know, once someone's created a market, they will need to work in the community to find if they don't have the funds themselves to find people to provide liquidity and to make that market a sort of a, a useful reality. Uh, but but that process of creating the market is is not much more complex than adding a pair to something like Uniswap. I'm really excited that this podcast, the Charlie Shrem Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO David Waxman back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless. And that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates and following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence, and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, they're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are gonna face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more. You guys are going to love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. So going back to your example, you gave you you talked about the incentive layer and the token layer and why that's important to you. You're, you're giving people like a huge governance perspective here. I was just trying to figure out the size of like the foreign exchange hedging industry. And what I do, what I did find out is that the, the the global foreign exchange market size was around seven trillion dollars in 2019, just because ChatGPT doesn't have anything past 2021. But it didn't okay. have the full answer, so I had to continue to search on my own. And then I found there's a few different companies that that do this, like FX hedging and commercial banks that do it too. But they usually outsource it. And some of these other companies, their vol, their their trading volume was around in the hundreds of billions. So let's just say like we're talking about trillion dollars in just this one industry that you mentioned. That's literally the size of the crypto industry right now. So that's if we just disrupt one industry, that's the size of where we are right now. It's, it's just so crazy how early we are and how much these things can grow. What I was getting at with the token and the incentive layer is that now you have this, when you're out there years ago and you're building it not on blockchain and you were working in banking and you were helping build out some of this infrastructure, you didn't have the token layer. And you didn't have the regular folks at home that are going to invest or, or you know, put their money into a DAO for $10,000 and have a staking weight and be able to vote on that. You didn't have that before. How does that all factor in now? Like, how does this yeah, token I mean, it's layer... It's actually even worse than that in crypto, right? So um, in, you know, because... In like in in tech, you kind of had this thing, and I think it's interesting if you watch in tech, like in the early two thousand boom, when you wanted to launch a new tech company, you needed quite a lot of cash because you had to go and buy servers and like physically take them to a data center and rent space. And now you can kind of spin something up on AWS yep. with like a few dollars a month to start your business. And 
you know, in finance traditionally and today, it's it's more it's worse than it was in the in you know when you had to buy service. Like it probably costs several million dollars to get a market created, and you can probably only even do that if you're already kind of a participant in similar markets and you're very well connected and you're a large firm, right? So, like you're probably even if you're let's say like you know a part of a manufacturing industry or something that needs to hedge something and you're based in you know somewhere in China or somewhere in Taiwan yeah. or. Vietnam or some part of Europe, and you're not really connected to a financial center, and you're not really well connected in banking, even though you're a business who really needs to hedge this and has a demand, you're going to struggle to find a way to get this market created. Um, and so really, you only get to do that if you kind of live in London or New York, or one of these places, and you're well connected, and then you get to create the market. And guess what? If you're the technologist or the quant who wrote the code, maybe you make you know, good good money and a little nice bonus or whatever from the bank. But really the bank is the one or the exchange is yeah. the one that's just reaping in the money all day, every day once that market is successful. And so what we're trying to do is solve both of those problems. On the one hand, we want to make it easy, like like easy, like using AWS to, to make your tech company to decide, I know that there's demand for this market. People want to trade it. I'm going to define this market. I'm going to find people who want to trade it. And we're all going to trade it together and screw whether or not those banks think it's a good idea because we want to trade it. So on the one hand, you want to make it that easy. And then on the other hand, you want to say, those people who created that and those people who saw that opportunity and got in early, they should be the ones to benefit from its creation, not the people with the you know, regulatory capture and it's sort of who get to be the ones profiting from every market by default. So you kind of solve for making it easy and then solve for making the people who are right there with the opportunity doing it actually being the ones to benefit when, oh, when their idea is successful. Very, very interesting. Now, you guys have been been doing this, though, for a couple of years now. You're not, you know, sometimes we interview companies and they've just launched in like the past year or two, but you've been doing this for a while and um, you've had a roadmap and you've been following it and we talk about like that path to decentralization, this road to immutability on the show a lot. Has that been beneficial to you? Kind of being transparent with the community of like what the roadmap is going to look like, testnet, mainnet, governance, voting. Like a lot of people, I guess what I'm asking is a lot of startup founders get nervous because they don't know like how to get from step zero to step one. How has having that roadmap benefited you for being able to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's a benefit and it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse, let's say. I mean, on the okay. on the benefit side, it's like you, you sort of have a bit of a plan and you know where you're going and you know what you need to do and you can at least see a couple of steps ahead. You know, you're sort of walking through the fog, but you're not actually bumping into the lampposts. So um, with it, it's just good and that's great. And it means that you get a community behind you who understand what's going on and what's next. The, the downside of it is that like every startup and every technology firm and every new big thing has twists and turns along the road and, and nothing goes quite as you expect. And mm. you, know, you see this with like Ethereum proof of stake upgrade, you know, and how long did it take versus how long was the, when they first said, we're going to do this, it was like, we're going to do this in like six to nine months. Yeah. And then like four and a half years later, it happens. And that's fine because it happens with all of these things, right? But the downside is you get people who are kind of like, you know, why haven't you not, you said it would be a year and it, it was not a year. And ultimately, all you can ever do is say, if, we'd, if everything goes really well, it'll happen in this amount of time. We know it won't go really well, but on the other hand, we don't yeah. want to say, if you say it'll take two years, it'll take three. So there's no point trying to pad the time. You've got to try and do it as fast as you can. You've got to be optimistic, but you've also got to be ready for, for the twists and turns. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of where we are. And we've, we've learned a lot and gone through a lot. We spent longer in testnet working with professional traders, professional trading firms, professional people integrating their trading algorithms, professional people who want to market make and do these things when things are live or, or hopefully will want to. Because when you do that and you start to go, oh, well, in, 
these people are saying this would be difficult for them to make money and it would be difficult for them to support. You go, well, if they're, if they're professionals and they're doing it and they have those concerns, we should probably fix that. Or, you know, you, you fix that and then you realize that actually the thing performs really well, but it's creating 27 gigabytes of data a day into the data node. And you're like, well, the people who are being paid like staking rewards for running these nodes are eventually going to get fed up with buying new hard disks, right? They're, gonna, they're not going to want to buy new disk drives if it's making 27 gigs a day. And then they're not going to be able to get enough space. And then the system's going to stop working. So you've got to fix that problem. So you get all these things. You have all um, these like we are now, problems. Yeah, you get all of that stuff. But we're now at that point where we've actually just run these like four mainnet simulations where we've actually had in you know, the last one, we had six professional market makers all integrated at the same time, providing liquidity on an order book based, completely decentralized exchange. All of the nodes were running, uh, operated by external validators. So we weren't operating any nodes. Everything was all running kind of as if it was in mainnet. We managed to run these like four sims and the last one just completed and we're kind of like, okay, doing a little bit of extra testing and making a couple of small tweaks, but basically we now have like in the next couple of weeks that final release is going to get cut and then this sort of upgrade process, kind of like the Ethereum merge, it all happens. Yeah. Uh, people in the community vote to switch on the trading for the first time and then you know, people create their markets and start trading and I'm sure a bunch more is going to go wrong, but the cool thing is it's now going to go wrong with something live that we can all look at and improve together. Very, very cool. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show today, Barney. No, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. 